Welcome to Hope Reclaimed. On this podcast, we talk about lasting healing from divorce, trauma, and loss through Jesus Christ, because healing and true redemption have already been extended by a good God. Sometimes he's inviting us to partner with him and receive that healing for ourselves. My name is Ellie Hope Collins, and I'm the host of this podcast, founder of HopeReclaimedMinistries.com, and a coach for individuals healing from divorce, trauma, and loss. In 2016, I discovered my ex-husband's long-term affair, and I was totally broken. Although I was desperate for a restored marriage, that's not what happened. But it wasn't until I chose to go back to every restaurant, listen to every song, and relive every memory that reminded me of my marriage and truly surrender everything to God that I really began to live a reclaimed life. And I'm now on a mission to help men and women just like you see true and lasting healing through Jesus. Whether you're experiencing the painful effects of divorce, grieving the death of a spouse, or beginning to accept the loss of a dream, you're in the right place. Complete healing and restoration is possible. Welcome to Hope Reclaimed. Hey, you guys, I am excited to have Pam Lanhart here on the podcast today, sharing her experience and her story about addiction. Pam has lived in the shadow of addiction her entire life. As a result, Pam started the nonprofit Thrive Family Support, which gives families nationally resources and connection, education, and support. Pam's mission is to educate and inform families to a compassionate, loving response to substance use disorder and coaches dozens of families each year. Pam is a high-profile advocate in Minnesota and throughout the country, recently winning the Parent Advocate Award from Know the Truth Minnesota. She's a certified peer recovery coach, family recovery coach, and family support case manager and interventionist. Interventionist, that's a hard word to say. Her passion is to help women step out of their own shame, fear, and anger so they can best support their family members. Pam is the author of the book, Praying Your Loved Ones Home. She is the mother of four amazing children, a grandmother, and has been married to her husband, Paul, for almost 40 years. I'm excited to get into this episode today with Pam. She brings a lot of truth, and this truth is not meant to bring condemnation. If your experience has been to love and support somebody who has gone through addiction, there's always hope. There is always redemption. And if this is not the response that you've had, similar to Pam, that's okay. Go back to Jesus and see what he has to say about it and be encouraged. You guys enjoy this episode. So do you, um, do you have any, any wintertime activities that you enjoy doing? You know, I love, I love the winter growing up in okay. Minnesota, here all my life. I am totally a winter person. So for years I taught skiing. At oh, did you? Hill. <laughs> and I, I, I believe really that we need to, you know, embrace the hand that we've been given us. Right. And so we have snow in Minnesota if we live here, then let's enjoy it. Let's get out and do what we can in the snow. And so I, I walk all year long, even in zero degrees, as long as it's not 20 below zero. I'm out there pretty much every day walking in the snow in the winter. But, you know, I think exercise has just become a real big part of what I need in order to keep myself well. Looking at wellness as a holistic thing and you know it's about what we eat what we drink how we take care of our physical body how we take care of our emotional selves yep how we care for ourselves spiritually in this 
time that we're in right now, yes, I've had to give myself a lot more space for myself spiritually because we need that. Yeah. You know? that and and um our world has gotten a little smaller in many ways and and for me it's just been a joy and a delight to be able to spend more time you know digging into God's or investing in other people you know it's that idea that we need to uh, acknowledge and understand that okay this is how we feel this is hard Mm -hmm may not be super fun, but when we acknowledge it, and even when we label it, then we can kind of start to deal with it and change the story around it. So I think that goes with any hardship that we have in our lives, that they're not going to go away. Some of these things might not go away in the timeframe that we would love for them to go away. And so we have to decide how we're going to live. I, I love the verses in Deuteronomy where we, where it says, you know, we get to choose life. Are we going to choose blessings or curses? And every minute of every day, that's our responsibility as a person of faith, as a human being is to make those intentional decisions and choices so that we can walk out John 10, 10. That's so good. I love that. Yeah, that's so true. We do have that choice. We have that that opportunity. Do you want to choose blessing or do you want to choose cursing? And obviously, it's not about a list of things that we do. And it's not about living just this perfect life because of Jesus. So, so in Deuteronomy 28, when it's talking about those blessings and cursings, we have that opportunity to choose the blessing because of Jesus and what he's done, which is so amazing. But I, I, I love what you're saying about kind of just going through this hard, the hardship that we can't control it. We, we can control kind of our response to it. And I know that you, you've walked through some really hard stuff. And now you're walking with other people who are walking through hard stuff, um, particularly around issues of addiction. So I'd love for you quickly to share your testimony around that and um, and kind of how God has used that that hurdle, that major pain that you experienced and um, how he's used that to create this cool platform Mm -hmm. for his glory. Yeah. And, you know, I think it kind of starts way back. I grew up with parents that were, that struggled with alcohol use. And so my home was Mm. very chaotic and very difficult and have siblings that have also struggled with substance use. And so we came into our marriage and um, probably about, I'm just trying to think like 10 years into our marriage, we got plugged into a beautiful um, Bible believing church. And that was, that's our spiritual birthday was we were married in 1981. Our spiritual birthdays were in 1991. And so I think part of uh, maybe being a baby Christian is okay. If I um, become a Christian, my life will go well. And <laughs> if um, only. <laughs> I know, right. Well, we kind of think that, right. That like yeah. a plus B equals C. And there's a lot of, I think, some promotion of that idea um, in certain churches and denominations where like if you, you know, like 
if you tithe, you're going to get abundant financial blessings. And sometimes you tithe and you have lack and it can create, you know, some resentment in your life. And so we have to be really careful about how we um, perceive God's word and what that means in our lives. So I remember thinking, okay, we're, 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 our family has changed and we've got this great little family. We had one daughter who was born in 1984. We became Christians in 1991. And so we're like, we are on the roller coaster of easy street. <laughs> and and um, then we decided that we wanted to have more kids. So we had these three little babies. Um, our oldest and our youngest are 16 years apart. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, we had a, a pretty spread out family. But I remember taking parenting courses back in the, you know, early days of raising those littles. And I made sacrifices. I had a six-figure income and I quit my job to raise my kids. Wow. Um, you know, we really sacrificed a lot so that I could be home. And I remember even thinking back then, uh, we're going to break this generational cycle of addiction hmm. in our family. And wow, that's awesome. Now, when I think about it, though, I think, okay, that was pretty outcome based. But <laughs> like, that was about a result. But yeah, I, think I had that much power to break that cycle. Hmm. So fast forward, you know, we checked out the parenting boxes. We did the things that we thought were right. Our kids were raised in the church. They went to youth group. They were homeschooled. They were public school. They were private school. I mean, we did kind of everything. <laughs> but at the end of the day. Sounds you know, like my family. <laughs> Sounds kind of like how I was raised. Well, what, what it really does prove is we don't have the power, you know, to make someone good or bad you know, um, well or not well, if we yeah. could eat our way to preventing cancer, no one would ever mm. know there, right? Yeah. Um, if we have the but, ability to have and, and, um, yeah, the power to have somebody choose good choices for their lives. Um, I mean, you, you can't even have a, a three-year-old always make the best decision, <laughs> let alone an adult, right? Right. And, you know, I think we, we just have to be really careful about yeah. how we view our Christianity, you know, that there will be suffering. The Bible says in this world, there will be suffering. Yeah. Um, and so, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Exactly. Yep. And so fast forward, we have our little guy um, who is about 12 and we start noticing things in our home, like broken pens and plates with burn marks on them and he's skipping school and the next thing you know he's getting suspended and that was sort of the beginning of um that realization that that we have a child who didn't follow the plan yeah we kind of laugh and say if we just stopped with our first two kids we would have been teaching parenting classes and probably in a ministry where we were mentoring families with young children and Unfortunately, as much as I attempted to, in my own efforts, break that cycle of addiction, it came upon our family. Mm. And um, so we have a son who is really struggling and in many different ways, um, went through his first treatment program at 15 and 
in my book, I talk about the summer of 2013, which was the summer of brokenness. And that was the summer where I had, we had had him in multiple treatments. He was too old to be forced to do anything. Mm -hmm. And at 15, 16, and too young for us to even think about remotely asking him to leave our home. And so here I am in all my woundedness and brokenness. And then on top of that, you know, God bless some of the beautiful Christian people in my life. I know they were not ill-meaning, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of judgment. You know, I'm just going to say, when you have a son or, um, and I'm sure you, you experience this in marriage, when things don't go the way that there is a perception that they should go, um, there's always people around you that will say, well, if you would do this, or if you did this, or you should do this, or if you only do this, fill in the blank. So there's a lot of this, and especially when we talk about addiction, and I think that there might be people out there that will listen to this, who have spouses, loved ones that are struggling, and they've probably heard those words. Well, you just need to fill in the blank. And for us, it was, you just need to parent differently. You need to, you know, it didn't matter what we did. There was judgment. Either we were too Mm -hmm. authoritarian, either you know, didn't, we should have had them in more sports. So we shouldn't have had, you know, we should take those. Um, and, you know, we, we need to force them to go to your youth group. Oh, you need to just let him make his own choices. So it, it doesn't matter what you do. There will always be people that will put some sort of judgment. Yeah. And, and, and for some people is that's, them, at least how, how I've experienced that in, um, in people that were walking with me and wanting to extend some good advice, quote unquote, good advice was a lot of that was just, they didn't know what to do. They were saying, they were saying, this is something that maybe this could work or they didn't, they didn't know what to say. So they thought they, in just saying something in, you know, it's not helpful, but they're, they're hoping it will be helpful. They mm-hmm. want to be helpful. Absolutely. And yeah. you know, I think that there, there are people that have a propensity because of their spiritual gifts to be truth tellers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's so, a good point. You know, they're, they feel called to tell their truth. And yeah. um, they, you know, I, I just want to encourage people to be very judicious around that, you know, very careful, because it may not be the right time or the place to, to be a truth teller. And so I tend to be that way myself. And I really had to defer to, you know, the Holy spirit and Mm -hmm. letting God speak truth into people's lives rather than me sometimes, (laughs) you know, I, there is uh, a time and place and good thing that we can also hear from God because when we hear those words, we can filter that through his word for our lives to, we need to, we need to make sure that we can bring those things to him and say, do I need to hear this right now? Is this actually something that I need? Or can I throw this out? Cause it's right. Right. kind of hard to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we're sitting, um, you know, we're sitting in a mess and I mean, I yeah. just really a lot of brokenness and I remember, you know, my, the, 
this is probably a year later and my son's been in and out of our home and we're trying to, you know, figure out how to walk through this. And we had a, we had a pastor say to us at that time, it was, it was I have it written on a piece of paper on my dresser. And, and he said, are you going to be right for the sake of justice or are you going to love for the sake of relationship? Because love never fails. And it's not about being right yeah. always. It's about loving right. Can you say that quote again? Because that was so good. I really want to make sure that people hear that. Because this is foundational for, for how you then chose to live and how you ended up choosing to love your son. Right. I want you to just say that quote one, once more. So take notes, people, if you, if you are. All right. So it was, are you going to be right? for the sake of justice or love for the sake of relationship. Beautiful. Because love never fails and justice was already taken care of on the cross. Amen. Right? Amen. Wow. So as we're walking through this and we have a son who's, you know, we would, who's not old enough to, you know, for us to ask him to leave, we're trying to figure out how to walk through this. Uh, because he's 16, 17, 18 years old. And, you know, he's old enough to, for us, we have no way of managing him or his addiction. Um, at the same time, you know, you don't just kick out a 17 year old, right? And yeah. put him on the street. And so um, what we really were guided by were those words and then three things. And um, those three things were, you know, if my son got well, would he want to have a relationship with me? If my son got well, would he want to have a relationship with Jesus, with the Jesus that I represent? Yeah. Like, was I representing Christ well yeah. on this journey Wow, to learning that? And then the, the third one was, and if he didn't make it through this, how would my interactions have been with him? Hmm. Right? Yeah. Uh, would he have felt human? Would he have felt yeah. honored? Would he have felt cared for? And so, you know, whether it's a son, whether it's a spouse, whether it's addiction, whether it's divorce, I, what I have learned is principle and foundational to my journey and now helping other people walk through this journey is treating people humanely and it and it gets really hard because in yeah. there's a lot of really problematic behaviors you know there can be gaslighting there can be narcissism there can be um incredible uh volatility mm -hmm. lots of manipulation and yeah. and even abuse right right yeah and so, you know, we, we can often feel like, why are we the ones doing all the work and they're the ones that come home and treat me in this problematic way? And so it, that's where the suffering comes in. The suffering comes in in two ways. I think one is this isn't the person that I knew and loved and know is in there. Hmm. So, this protection, these walls that we put up to protect ourselves um, from this idea of 
like this isn't the person that I fell in love with. And, and we, you know, there's so much shame and we're going to talk a little bit about shame in a few minutes, but there's so much shame in this. Like, how could I have not seen this? Yeah. I have let this happen. How could I have done this differently? And of course, you know, the enemy is the master of, of putting shame on people, you know? And so for me, it was, I'm going to take the shame of the disease out of this, right? Because I do believe that my son did not choose addiction. Hmm. He chose to use substances, but he did not choose to become addicted. I don't believe anyone chooses that. I believe that you know, activated in somebody's life. Um, and then the second, you know, the second piece of this is just, um, how am I going to respond? And as you talk, you know, we can, um, we can't control other people's behaviors, but we can certainly choose our responses to those. And that's the hard part. (laughs) That is the hard part. I mean, what you're saying is, is, basically saying is the gospel and what Jesus did for us, is that transformational in our relationships? Does the gospel actually change the way that we view other people and the way that we interact with them? And particularly those closest people to us that, that I firmly believe the gospel changes everything. The, the fact that Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, that he paid it all, that, that he's seated now um, with the father and, and th- that is the gospel and it's transformational for lives. If we actually believe all of those truths, then that, that should fully dictate and, and transform the way that we view other people, the way that we interact with them, because, because that's what Jesus did for us. He took our shame. He took our sin on the cross. When we have that reality, when we know our identity, then we can act like that to those closest people. But it is so complicated. It's so complicated when, when our justice comes up and we think when when we think this isn't right, this isn't the way it's supposed to be because sin was never meant to come into the world. Addiction was never meant to, to come into the world because of, because of how God created everything. So, so I, I guess my question for you is, is how do we get past that, that sense of, of justice of wanting like truly wanting the healing and the restoration for these people that are closest to us, spouses and, and children and parents that are struggling with addiction. You know, how do we get past that sense of justice to truly love the person and, mm. and do this thing that you're talking about? Yeah. Well, and there's a, that's a really complicated question. And I love what you just said, because for me, it was, um, a couple of things. And one was just being in God's word every single day, every single day, and really studying the life of Jesus. You know, yeah. and I love, I love, 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 love the, the passage um, where Jesus is, you know, talking to the women who was caught in adultery and you know, he looks down in the sand. And I, I think, and, and when I start talking about some of these things, I get really choked up, but like, I think he was writing her name in the sand because it 
says back in Isaiah, you know, I have not forgotten you. I have written your name in the palm of my hand. And he has written each one of our names in the palm of his hand. And he calls us by name. And so, you know, when we understand our identity, like our identity is in Christ alone. It's not in, you know, whether we have a person who struggles it's not even in our own struggles. It really is in Christ. And I believe Jesus was writing her name in the sand. And then he said so clearly, he said, um, whoever condemns you, you throw the first stone and nobody moved. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. And so if we look at the life of Jesus really very plainly, you know, the people that he called out were the Pharisees. And the religious people, the people that he leaned into were the broken. Mm. You know, he he dined with Judas, knowing that Judas was going to betray him. Yes. And that that gets me that he yeah. broke bread the night knowing that Judas was going to turn his back on him. But he still chose to stay and he still chose to wash the feet of those people. I mean, that's radical. That is radical love. I mean, it's, you know, it says in John that, that this is, this is love to lay your life down for your brother. And, um, and I mean, that, that's really what you're talking about here. It's like, it's saying my life is, my life is nothing um, compared to loving you. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's, it's truly a radical way of living. So, I mean, you, you had, we, we talked a little bit, we mentioned a little bit about, you know, regardless of how this person is acting towards us. And that can be really a painful experience. Um, you know, in cases of like abuse in marriage, we talk about this. Um, I, I have close people to me that, um, and that people have been on my, on my podcast, um, maybe haven't shared specifically around this. Um, but, people on my podcast, people in my, um, in my reclaimed community that, that have been in, in physically and emotionally abusive marriages because of, of, um, of addiction issues. So I'd love for you to just touch about that really quick so we can gain some clarity there. Um, I, 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 I'm a firm believer that you should not stay in a, in a place where you are physically unsafe. Um, that, that there is healing and there's redemption on the other side of abuse. And we, we want to make that clear. (laughs) We want to make that clear. I'd love for you to just touch on that quickly. Yeah. So, um, that was actually, I'm nodding my head. You can't see it, but I'm agreeing with you. And that is exactly where I want to go next because we talk about this radical love and being, um, I, I love the book on unoffendable, right? We don't want to be the kind of person that is taking offense easily. And um, we want to be unoffendable because Jesus already took care of all that for us. On the other hand, we, it is never okay to tolerate any kind of physical abuse and verbal abuse. I always say, you know, a failure to set boundaries is a form of self-harm. And God cares so greatly about us and so deeply about us that he wants us to be safe. And so how does that look in a marriage relationship, in a parent-child relationship, whatever it might be, when you have someone that you don't be, that they would not be doing this if it weren't for their substance use, right? Yeah. 
This is, this is a direct result. When they're not using, when they're not drunk or they're not using, they're like wonderful people. And so there's this conflict going on in your marriage that says, okay, on one hand, I know the kind of person that he could be. I know the kind of person he is when he's sober. I know how he can get when he's not using or when he is using. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's, when I work with people, the first thing I would say is there is never a one size fits all. And so there's a lot of people that are going to say, well, you should do this, or you shouldn't do this, or, you know, you just need to kick them out. We heard that a lot. You just need to kick them out. And this is where we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We will know when it is not safe. And if we ignore that, that's when the consequences of our own behaviors will come into play in our lives. So we never want to ignore the prompting of the Holy Spirit when it comes to safety and possibly leaving when things are volatile. Um, And what does radical love look like in that situation? That's Mm -hmm. the question, right? Radical love looks like I am not going to dehumanize you or treat you like, Mm. you know, like worse than I would treat my puppy (laughs) um, because you have an addiction, right? So we want to be really careful about the how. Sometimes it's very clear that we need to make a decision to leave or at least to separate due to safety issues. And I think that's really important. Yeah, Um, I'm I'm working with multiple families right now. I I worked with a family where um, the husband was occasionally using meth. They had three kids in the home and it was really their believers. He was a believer. He got caught up in this addiction. And so when he was sober, they made this agreement that he could not come back into the home. If he was using, they set up a bed in the garage and that was the, wow. and so if he was using meth, he stayed in the garage and slept in the garage and then was able to interact with, with with the children when he was sober. I know that might not work for everybody, but that was her solution and that was doable. And truly, because they stayed connection connected and he was allowed to see those children, um, he, he ultimately he asked for help and mm-hmm. their marriage has been restored and wow. he is you know, about two years coming up on two years sober now. It doesn't always work that way. But whether whether they we have to physically separate or we have to set these really um, strong boundaries, you can't come home if you've been drinking or, uh, you know, I won't sleep with you if you've been using, we can still honor the value of the human being in front of us, even when. Yeah. And part of building those boundaries is honoring that person. Um, and also honoring as particularly around, um, around a marriage, honoring the covenant because the, the God holds the, the, the marriage covenant in such high, um, it's it's a beautiful miracle and and it needs to be treated like such. And when there is abuse of of that marriage covenant, that's not okay. It's just not okay. And that needs to th- th- those boundaries do need to be drawn. So I love that you're I love that you're touching on that. Um, but there are cases that 
the person is trying to get the help that they're that they're working on it and um and when those boundaries are are set and there's movement and 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 you know a direction in a positive way towards restoration in their personal lives um how beautiful that there can be that reconciliation of saying uh, okay, you can come home now, or or we can now begin to rebuild more trust. We can take a step towards um, uh, the, the healing that the marriage needs to have now, now that you're well, now that you have received um, the healing over over the the addiction or whatever, that um, now more steps can be made to, to rebuild that. And that's and that will be an easier job because there was there was communication and love was shown on the side of the person that um, that that was extending it. Yeah. And you know, yeah. I um, in that example, what I what I love about what you just said is that because addiction really does impact not just the person with the addiction; it impacts everyone in the family and we can yes. really start to lose ourselves lose our identity and become very ill in the disease even when it, we're not the ones using substances in fact our behaviors can often start to parallel another person's behaviors so they're seeking substances we're seeking trying to fix them you know, they're increasing tolerance for substances. We're increasing tolerance for unacceptable behaviors. Interesting. Wow. When, that's, that's a good point. When they stop using, they go through withdrawal. When we, when we're not involved in the chaos, we go through withdrawal. Hmm. And so when we work with families, what's really fun and cool is that as a family member, I can start activating my recovery I need to be in recovery myself as a family member. I need to do all of the things that that person would do in their recovery. I'm going to look in the mirror and do those same things. So I'm going to have a community of support. I'm going to work with a therapist. I'm going to figure out how I can communicate differently. Um, I'm going to uh, maybe do some spiritual, deep spiritual healing and reconciliation, looking at my own trauma, my own past my own patterns. I'm going to step out of that cycle of chaos because I know that in some ways I'm not causing them to use, but I can create an environment that's conducive to using by my contribution to the chaos. Right. Wow. And yeah. so, so when we have uh, husband and wife dynamics and the husband doesn't want to get well, we'll say, okay, but you as the wife can start getting well yourself, you know, psychosocial education, learning about substance use, um, all of those different things are the, because we oftentimes, and this, you know, this wouldn't work if someone was like born a narcissist and they, they were a narcissist before they started using and they're never, you know, yeah, that, there's, there's deep personality disorders right, that, right. Exactly. That are you, you need you need to really be working with a, a psychologist, a like somebody who's really a special a specialist in this area. Yeah, that's a good point. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, but in a normal situation, um, when you know we can reflect these behaviors, and it's amazing how oftentimes then those behaviors, you know, the 
the peace, the mm. love, the communication skills really start to spill over and they start to sort of see that and pick that up. Um, so we're going to be a mirror and a reflection of Christ and Christ's love. And um, there's specific like skills that I help work with, you know, with partners on. Um, so there are some actionable solutions. I think there's one thing you hear in addiction is like, there's nothing you can do about it. Well, there are things we can do and we can start to become healthy and um, we can start to learn how to react differently, respond, mm -hmm. communicate differently because we've gotten as ill as they are usually in that disease. Wow. So we reclaim our life. Yeah. And what often happens is, through setting boundaries and through communicating differently, we can start to have that conversation, which might be, you know, are you really, do you really want to live this way? Is this really what you want? And hmm. they start activating their recovery. We can heal together as a family um, so that we can have that reconciliation. So it's doing, walking with someone. We yeah. don't want we do it for them. We can't do it for them. But we can communicate to them, hey, I'm with you right now as you go through this process of healing. Yeah, because that's what that's what God does to us. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And and he is he is with us in our struggle, in our own struggle. Um, never ever, ever leaving us. And that's so, that's just, that's such a, a beautiful point that you're making here. Um, and I just, I think of the situation of, of many women and, and men that, that I've talked to that, that have this experience of having a really hard marriage and drawing a boundary and then choosing divorce. And, you know, if that was, they, they had reached out for restoration. They had, they had done the work they've, they've tried to walk with that person. Um, and then eventually they've decided to walk away. And, um, that was never something that I had imagined that I would do. Um, that, that, but I ended up filing for divorce. Um, there wasn't, there wasn't an issue of, of substance abuse, um, in, in my divorce, but, but I just think of these people that might, might be listening and they might be thinking, okay, well, I, I didn't do that right. And, and I didn't, I didn't walk this road in this way. Um, and I guess what, what would you say to that person? That's, that's maybe, maybe feeling, um, maybe feeling some regret? Mm. Well, first of all, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Yeah. And so, of course, the enemy is going to make you feel like you did not do things right. And, you know, I, I do not like trite phrases and you know, you, you know when somebody says all things work together for good you know yeah. it, like okay tell that to the person that yeah. you know just ended up divorced right mm -hmm. because it, um so there's a you know there's a few things that I would a couple things that I would say to that one is if you're not remarried there is still hope for reconciliation potentially you know, that um, I don't think the door is ever closed until it's closed and you're remarried. Um, so maybe 
And maybe that you don't, there is no chance of reconciliation, but maybe you feel like you need to A, repent or B, reconcile that with your person. So, you know, for me, this is a lot of this is about humility and admitting that we do things wrong. We're never going to do things right. We got to step out of that shame because uh, that is how the enemy keeps us in the darkness. Um, and how we do that is through vulnerability and humility. We go to that person and say, you know, I see now that there might have been some things that I could have done differently. And, you know, I truly am sorry for that. And so we can't go back and change the past. I can't go back and change the hurtful things that I may have said in the middle of this journey. But through a changed behavior, through changed lives, um, I can, I can impact the now and the future by the way I honor other people in my life now. Yes. Yes. I think that's, you hit the nail on the head with that. I think that that's a, a beautiful thing to do to, to go back and say, when I was hurting, when I was going through that really hard time after discovering this hidden addiction or the affair or the um, addiction to pornography, whatever that was that led to the breakdown of a marriage. Um, You're hurting, you're in pain, and that pain comes out sideways a lot of times through anger and resentment and, um, and hurt, just real deep down hurt. I know what it's like to feel the pain of discovering an affair, and that's terrible. I said things that I regret. I said things and, and did things that, that I looked back on and needed to apologize to him for. It's okay to do that. It's okay to go back in that humility and, and then trust that the Lord is covering those things. We don't have to live in condemnation, like you said. And, and I think, I think it kind of does also go back to having that understanding of what Jesus did for us. He, the, the gospel is transformational for us personally. So knowing that's that, you know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I have sinned. <laughs> so of course I'm going to extend, um, that grace to someone else, um, in a forgiving way. And I, I just don't know that we can do that until we really fully grasp his love and, um, you know, our identity in Christ. I was just through first Thessalonians three, 11, in the message Bible, it says, You know, I pray that you would be so filled with the love of God that it would overflow and splash all (sighs) to everyone around you, you know, and like, I I, I think we just, and I don't, I don't know that without the brokenness that I went through, I would have really been able to grasp Mm -hmm. all of that, you know, all of that. But I do want to mention something that you talked about, which is the grief and the loss and all of this as well. We can't talk about addiction without acknowledging the deep grief that is involved. And it, it may be the grief of a loss of a marriage, um, the loss of your dreams, the loss of, you know, the things that you held closely to, but we're, there's also this thing in addiction, which doesn't, it, you know, it exists in a few other diseases, but it's really unique. And that is the anticipatory grief of a potential loss of life. And so when we, when we're, when we have someone and we know in this day and age, people die from this disease. 
And um, we see it in the news all the time. Um, There's this constant weight of wondering if today is going to be the day that you're going to get the call that your person is overdosed and and died. And and that grief really does um, order our behavior sometimes. And so it's really important, I think, to understand that there is grief in this and that I might need some professional help and, you know, to, to really deal with, because oftentimes it's that grief that really causes us to cling to things that are not from God. Yeah. And coping Um, mechanisms can, can step in that, that are not healthy, creating, um, you know, dysfunctional patterns in our lives. We need to make sure we're really processing this grief. I mean, that's such an important point of this, this idea that at any moment I could get that phone call that this person is no longer on this earth. That causes so much pain and anxiety. Yeah. But it goes back to my third question that I asked myself, which is, Um, am I living in a way or honoring my person in a way that if he died or, you know, that, um, I could live with how I was with them and it caused me to change my way of being with my son and with my children, knowing that, you know, at any moment I could, I could lose them. And, you know, is the last text I sent, a text that would have shamed them or would have been volatile or would have been full of blame um, and anger or, or even in active addiction, we can still end our day with, you know, I know you're trying, I know you're suffering. I'm so sorry you're suffering and I love you. So I think that we, when we start to acknowledge that, our person is, you know, if you understand like their prefrontal cortex is hijacked, half the time they're not in um, full control of some of their decision-making. And even in that, we can acknowledge their suffering, we can acknowledge their humanness, and we can love them um, in that. And it may not be the romantic love at that point, but maybe it's just, I'm going to love you like Jesus would have loved you. Yeah, absolutely. Because we're not our diseases. We're not our pain. We're not the, the things that happen to us. So this person that you're loving is not their addiction. And so we can love that person that God has created, even though their actions, their soul has been hijacked by, by addiction and by, um, by this really terrible disease. So we can love this person through that addiction. I think that's such a, such an important point. It's very, very hard. And I love that you're, you're expressing that this takes humility. Um, and it takes the power of the Holy spirit, giving us the encouragement and the strength to do it, but we have been given everything that we need for life and godliness. And we've been giving everything we need for love because God is love. He has given, he's given his life for us. So what a better way to love and be Jesus to people than 
in their time of pain and hurt and, and addiction, man, this is huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing I want to just mention here as you're talking about that is there are going to be people listening and going, well, I don't think addiction is a disease. I just think it's sin. It's the sin of the flesh. It's, you know, lost and Mm. pleasure and um, it's gluttony or yeah. Right. And so here's how I respond to that in my, um, because I spend a lot of time with lovely Christian people. Um, The truth is we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. And what I know about addiction, and this is true, whether we're talking about the scientific world or the faith world, is that the substances are the solution for the emptiness in our soul and spirit. When I use, I feel less anxiety. I feel less um, chastised. I feel like I fit in. And so um, when I work with families, I leave the sin, I, the sin judgment to God, right? That's yes, not, that's not our job. My job. To, Thank to, the Lord, that's not my job. <laughs> So, um, while there is sin in addiction, there is sin in everyone's life. Um, I am, you know, I have sin in my life every day. Um, that's why Jesus died on the cross. It goes back to that first thing. Like, are we going to be right? or Are we going to love? Right? Like, is it helpful or beneficial to call out somebody's sin in the middle of deep shame and embarrassment and grief Mm -hmm. or is it just something that we can say you know okay I this is I believe this but whether it's sin or disease or whatever you want to call it the truth is God wants us to love that person regardless yes um and so I think that we can get tripped up on this idea um that can become very legalistic and very judgmental and is incredibly harmful towards someone who might be struggling with addiction. Well, and I, I'm like, treat the disease and get them sober and then let's worry about all the rest of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. In, their, in their active use, they're not going to even be able to discern is this you know, that they might be sinning or harming someone. And so I, I just really have a strong passion for, you know, let's interact with them in a way that would, like you said, would elevate them mm-hmm. and them to want to even explore a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. This can sort out and the Holy Spirit can sort out you know, that whole sin thing right down the road. So dead dead people can't recover. Dead people can't get saved. And if we're disconnecting from people to the point where they're dying, then what good is that? You know, um, I think that we have to think about the hills that we want to die on when it, yes, how we're going to interact and how we're going to help with help someone with who is in addiction. Wow. This is, yeah, this conversation is a lot of light bulbs are going off for me. So I'm, um, 
because this is a this is different than how a lot of a lot of groups and a lot of people like you talk about this. Um, and so I, I just really appreciate your perspective and I'm challenged by it, honestly. And I, I, I think that this, this does bring a lot of challenge to people. How are we viewing this and how are we loving those people? Because absolutely we need to be safe and we need to, we, um, we're not saying stay in an abusive marriage. Um, if, if you're in abuse, get help, seek help, seek safety, um, but that doesn't mean that you have to file for divorce in this moment. Um, and that doesn't mean that healing is not something that God wants to extend um, to the addiction and to broken relationships. Um, so I just, I really, really appreciate what you're saying and this perspective that you're bringing. So I would love if, if you know, we're, <laughs> I could keep talking to you forever. Um, but if people are wanting more information, or if this is a support that they're like, I need this, you keep, you know, you've talked about some coaching and families that you're working with. What, what is the, what, what are the things that you're providing the, the, um, the help and support that you're providing and how can people, um, take part in that if they need to? Yeah. Um, so we have, I, we have everything from absolutely free resources to individual private coaching. And I have a nonprofit So it's called Thrive Family Support, um, Thrive, T-H-R-I-V, familysupport.org. So we have some online support groups. We have a private Facebook group. Um, We have in-person support groups in the Minneapolis metro area. That information is all on the website. We have an online learning platform called Family Rx, which is family-rx.org that is free right now that has 56 presentations on how can we communicate compassionately and um, kindly and lovingly in this. There's three different free offerings in there. And then I do, my website is pamlanhart.org or .com. And, you know, I do, uh, I do love working with families privately. Uh, I'm a trained interventionist. They're trained family recovery coach. I mean, my wheelhouse is working with people, but women in particular uh, that have been impacted by this and, you know, have some great success stories of women that um, have stayed and their loved ones are in recovery and they're all doing really well right now. So it is possible. That is possible, people. There is hope. And that's yes. what Jesus is that reconciliation and restoration. And yes. you know, we, we, we can walk in that. And I have a book called praying our loved one home. It's available on Amazon and it's um, 120 scriptural prayers that we can pray over our person. And I really believe in the power of prayer. It was the hope of the gospel of Jesus. It was the yes. hope of the Bible every single day that kept me going and keeps me going through all this, which is, you know, uh, uh, Habakkuk 2-3, the vision mm-hmm. will be fulfilled in its perfect time. If it takes long, do not despair because it will not be overdue a single day. Um, if you're listening to this and you and you are struggling today, just know that he loves you. He loves you radically. He loves you 
holy. You are already whole. It was done on the cross. Um, you are not broken. Um, you, you are redeemed and you are his daughter or your son. And so, you know, just know that you can walk in that. And as you walk in that, um, you'll experience that freedom, right? Absolutely. So, so good. What beautiful, beautiful words to end with. Yeah. That blesses me. Thank you so much for being here, Pam. I so appreciate it. Thank you for having me.